And welcome to the Bloke and a Bird Show. This week, we are ramping up for the Mexican Grand Prix at the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez. And with the exception of this one time, should I say, beyond this one time, that this is the first time that Formula One has been back in Mexico City in 23 years, you are allowed to throw something at me. Ooh, I need more stuff. Seriously? NBC Sports, could you not find another talking point? Well, they, they haven't mentioned that Max Verstappen is the youngest F1 driver to ever drive at the Mexican <laughs> Grand Prix. Oh, I'm sure they're going to do that today. At some point, they will reference the fact of, well, they will reference Max's age at some point today. Is this a prediction? Yes. Is it a drinking game now? Can we can we mark the things that we get to drink every time Steve Matchett mentions the tires? Every time we talk about Max's age? Every time we talk about how long it's been since the Mexican Grand Prix was run at the Mexican Autodrome? Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez. Yeah, that's a mouth mouthful. I like Autodrome. Well, I guess it's better than uh, Los Pollos Hermanos. Yes. Would that be the chicken of Hermes or something? That that would be the Chicken Brothers. The Chicken Brothers. Or where it really can you you never made it this far. Those who have watched Breaking Bad recognize Los Pollos Hermanos. Oh. Because it plays a key part in some of the late well, most of the later series. I don't know why I stopped watching it. I was binge watching it for a while, and then probably I, because when our son is around, it's, I can't you, binge you cannot watch. watch. You cannot watch Breaking Bad. <laughs> there will be none of that. Parental discretion is definitely advised on that show. Yes. Yes. That would be why. Probably because I stopped staying up later than he did. That maybe. So we have a ton of stories to talk about. Hopefully we will keep them all in order, but odds are we won't. And at some point, the train may go completely off the rails. I'm thinking in the next two minutes. <laughs> so, you know, based on all of this, I think we are headed off with... Okay, Luke, so we're going to go strap mode three. Strap mode three, we need to pull a gap. We need to pull a gap. Don't ask questions, just execute. All right, I'm not go. asking any questions. <laughs> I'm merely executing. And away okay, we go. So... Let's get through some of the quick stuff first. Quick stuff. I'm not sure I have a whole lot. We, I we have, have my. Oh, you have something? I have a quick stuff. Okay. Is this about the, the Renault that I told you about? No. Oh, it has okay. nothing to do with Renault. Okay. Um, no. The one and only driver announcement that we can make. Ah, yes. Haas, our friendly neighborhood U.S. team that's coming in next year, that has already announced Roman Grosjean, who has been speculated to be interviewing 9 billion other possible drivers, and yet the one that keeps coming up over and over and over again is the most po likely possibility, is exactly who they, they signed. Esteban Gutierrez, our Mexican friend, is now the second driver for Haas Racing. Well, I think most of, of the Formula One press had finally gotten to a point of, for God's sakes, just say it already. <laughs> we know it's happening. Give it up already. It's not I, a secret. I think somebody was interviewing them last week, and it was like, so are you planning on announcing this in Mexico, maybe? Oh, that was Will Buxton <laughs> talking to, yeah. 
So, okay, driver news is done. You know, for another drinking game, every time in a post-race interview, and granted there's only going to be two or three post-race interviews that they'll air with Will Buxton, but every time in a post-race interview that Will Buxton says, that was a hell of a race, talk us through it, you should have two drinks. No, that happens every week. Yeah. So you would have 38 drinks if you watched the NBC coverage. So far. No, total, because it's 19 race season. 19 plus 19 is 38. <laughs> Which is your two drinks per. Well, that's just on that for that one thing. Oh. Maybe that's what we should do in the off season while they're doing testing. We should make the grid of drinking game. Better yet, for every single commercial break that NBC Sports had within the, the – confines of a single race that's worth a drink at which point by lap 10 you're going to be out cold <laughs> you would have to add special shots for any time that during commercial break there was an important critical pass or radio message that they had to circle back to while we were away <laughs> whenever david hobbs goes whoa <laughs> okay, can can I just ask the public at large, does anybody think that David Hobbs is sober while he's doing his commentary? <laughs> All right. So. Oh, my. We're going to talk engines, aren't no, we? No, actually, Force India. Oh, okay, not engines. Woohoo! And I got to preface this with about two or three weeks ago, I, I was talking to a gentleman from India um, who – tends to follow a lot of the news, the business news in particular in India and uh, is very familiar with Vijay Malia and his business dealings. And um, his general opinion is that he's amazed that the man is still not behind bars. Wow. Because his financial dealings are that shady. Mm. Now, I believe I may, and we'll have to pull it up in a, about a month or so when we get to the end of the, 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 the season. But I believe I made a prediction that it was Force India w was the team that I was predicting w was not going to survive the season. Well, Force India reached out and, and submitted a letter to uh, Bernie Eccleston um, requesting an advance on its championship payments for next year. Oh, that doesn't bode well. Now, what this generates is a letter gets sent from Bernie to the other nine teams requesting their permission because unanimous consent is required before FOM can facilitate such a request. Teams currently receive payment uh, payouts from FOM on a monthly basis from February through the end of the season in November. Now, this means that for two months of the year, there are December and January, there's no cash coming into these teams. Right. So the problem is, while there's no cash coming in, that's when development for the next year's car is at a feverish pace. So that's where the concern is, is, is this is when they really need the money, and it's not there. Okay, but this isn't a weird situation. Teachers have figured out how to take 10 months of pay and stretch it across 12 months of the year since oh, the dawn of teacher time. So why can't F1 figure that out again? Well, it's the difference between living expenses and wind tunnel and all the other supplier pieces that they need to have in place. 
Well, I mean that 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 that's the argument. I mean, it, it's it's not quite a fair and just comparison. It kind of is, and along the same lines, if you structure since they are a team that is well sponsored, if they structure their sponsorship payments appropriately, they could make up for the shortfall that way. I would think. But also keep in mind. Much like Christmas happens every December 25th, and if it is a shock to your budget that you have to go buy Christmas gifts, you are not doing it right. They should not be surprised that there is development and testing happening in December and January. So why are they spending all of their money from February to November and not having any money left for December and January? It's a valid question. I want to talk to their budgeting people. Okay, you do that right after you reach out to Williams and tell them they need to provide more stats uh, on a MASA scale. <laughs> well, okay. Now, if I get called by Claire because I send that letter, I'm making you talk to her. Done. <laughs> <laughs> but if Rob Smedley calls me, I am so talking to that man. <laughs> now, it's, it's also believed that several other teams may make similar requests. Oh, okay. So... Well, it, it's not exactly unusual. They've done this before, and several other teams have done this before as well. But it's not necessarily a sign of good financial health, I would well, think. is it bigger in light of your next story? you got to wonder how it plays into it. Um, Autosport is uh, reporting that the Force India team is set for, a, for an Aston Martin branding deal which would mean that the Force India name would go away completely. Mm. Now, the move would bring Aston Martin back to Formula One over a half a century after its previous, ex uh, its previous stint in 59 and 60. Aston Martin wants to have a presence in F1 to take on uh, rivals McLaren and Ferrari on track as well as off. Ooh, nice. Now... We had talked earlier in the season that Aston Martin was sniffing around both uh, Red Bull and Williams before ultimately, it appears, deciding on Force India. Now, alongside the team name changes, understood that the livery will become blue and gold as part of a link-up with Johnny Walker. So I assume this would be maybe Johnny Walker, Aston Martin Racing or something like that? Interesting. So if they're blue and gold... Mm-hmm. Then Sauber in their blue and yellow livery. It depends. I think it depends on the shades there. I mean, Johnny Walker, their blue label is a pretty dark blue. So we're talking more navy and gold? That maybe, I would okay. think. Um, now, Force India's engine supplier Mercedes owns 5% of Aston Martin and is said to, it, to has given its blessing to such an arrangement. Um, and it's believed that this will also – there'll be some kind of a technology interchange, which we, had, again, talked about when, when it looked like Red Bull was going to get this deal. Hmm. Very interesting idea, truly. Yeah. My hope is that the driver race suits will improve in design and color. I don't like the Force India race suit. Honestly, I, as much as I know that this is a tie-in with – um, Johnny Walker, and, and that's the colors that they would go with. I would much rather that they went with a British racing green and gold. For mm -hmm. Aston Martin to run those colors, I think that would look super, super sharp. 
we haven't had a green car on the track since Caterham. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it would be nice to go back to having a car in British Racing Green, but just something other than those awful suits. I don't like them. So anyway, to a little more about this and the Force India name, because that is in play now. Um, Vijay Malia purchased uh, Spiker. That, that was ultimately what, I guess, went from Jordan to Spiker to Force India. Okay. Um, he, he bought the team in 2008 with the team, when the team finished 10th in the, in the Constructors' Championships. They've been doing a lot better. Now, Malia has insisted that he has no qualms about sacrificing the name he gave the team It was if it was in the best interest to rebrand. He says, the Sahara bid is because they made a significant investment in the team and became a partner. The Force India bid is something I did when I bought the team, which I could have easily named Malia F1 or Kingfisher F1. I said Force India because I wanted to fulfill aspirations of all the motorsports in- enthusiasts in India who never could have even dreamed there would be be an Indian F1 team on the grid. That's an interesting idea. So. And aren't we glad he didn't name it Kingfisher because aren't they like nearly belly up? No, he ran them into the ground too. Oh, okay. But well, he ran the airline into the ground. Kingfisher beer and and they've got, I guess, a couple of alcoholic brands. Those apparently are doing pretty well. Well, I guess if you're losing money and all the other things, the drinking becomes more and more important. Yeah. So, Bernie coming on the heels of Austin, and a pretty exciting race, too. It was mm-hmm. a good race. Um, Bernie has said he wants more races in America. You know, this on the heels of, of you know, complaining about America and how we don't get, and how he doesn't get America to um, Russian TV. Mm-hmm. Now he says that, he would like to have not just a second race, but a third, even four races here. We'd like California, anywhere where it doesn't rain. A few places have come up. Southern California. Think he wants to go to California? You think? Um, okay, so what happened to Hoboken? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, he did go on to say, we're trying to do another couple of races, if I'm allowed back. Interesting. You know. Knowing that he kind of pissed off America. I know. But was his comment about the rain in light of the fact that Austin tried to flood itself? I don't know. See, and that's one of the odd things here is that he says that, you know, he wants to go somewhere where it doesn't rain and have a race there. But this is also the man who thought it would be a great idea to introduce sprinklers. I know. Because he wants to artificially control wet track. Yeah. So I, I I don't know why that would sound like a good idea to him. Evil genius. Yeah. Um. Okay, so having more races in the U.S., while that sounds like it would be an awesome soundbite, if you look at Austin's race... Aren't you about to tell us that this between the rain and the fact that the inaugural Mexican race, um, between those two being fairly close to each other, Austin lost money? Yeah, Austin claims that, that uh, this was a financially devastating weekend for them. Mm. Um, attendance was definitely down, and, and to some extent that was expected. I don't think it, 
even without having Mexico in place, that you know the, these events start to, to wind down a little bit till they find their steady state. And this year may have been when that was going to happen anyway. But yeah, Austin is saying that this was really bad. But here's the question, okay? If you look at w- without even these four new or three new races that Bernie wants to bring in, that who knows where they'd slot them in the calendar? All in Southern California, apparently. Yeah. Well, there's that too. Um, well, you could do Long Beach, San Diego, and Willow Grove. I don't know. Um, um, I think Seattle needs a race because yes, it never rains there. Definitely. Definitely. Um, the, the question is, so if you decided to try and make a little, put a little bit of room in the calendar between Austin and Mexico City, mm-hmm. what are your options? Especially when you look at the weather. So you move it closer to Montreal, which goes and puts Austin or Mexico City in June. Do either of those locations sound like an attractive destination that time of year? Not particularly. I mean, heat being heat. Um, Yeah, November in... Austin and Mexico City sounds like it's a lot more pleasant than June. Um, but then you have to you have to offset the fact that Austin and Mexico aren't that far away from each other. Yeah. So in theory, if you had the money, you could have kind of the ultimate double header weekends of being able to start in Austin and end in Mexico City. Well, actually if if you really look at how the schedule is built right now, we go Austin Mexico City, Brazil. Oh, yeah. So if you stacked just like you do with Europe, mm-hmm. you turned around and stacked North America, you could do Montreal, Austin, Mexico City, Brazil. I still don't want to be in Austin in the middle of June. That's the problem. That's the problem right there. Because then all of the news outlets are only going to talk about the temperature. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you, you deal with rain, let's ignore that. You're only going to have the conversation about temperature. Yep. And that changes the face of anything. However, on the plus column for June in Austin, you would not be in football season. That's true. They would they would not be up against football. Actually, they, the only thing that they would potentially be up against is baseball, and I think they can handle that. I think they probably could handle that. You know, remember one of the first things that they did that screwed everything up because they didn't obviously realize how important uh, college football is mm-hmm. in Texas, um, which is paramount to our religion, really. They picked the weekend of, what was it, Texas A&M versus UT? Something like that, I mean, it yeah. was like that It weekend. was a major game. And then there was another one that was the, the last race of the NASCAR season Yeah, at, at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, they haven't picked well as far as when to do the Austin race. But even still, okay, so we decide June in Texas is bad. Mm -hmm. So where else do you slot these races? Because you've got your first couple of races are mainly in the South Pacific and Pacific. So then you bring them to North America to hop to Abu Dhabi to hop to Europe or yeah. hop to Bahrain and into Europe. I mean, it it doesn't flow well. 
No, no. And unfortunately, unlike in Europe, there, there's not enough of a fan base yet to turn around and, and be able to handle stacking those races and make your Asian season, your European season, and your 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 West what Western Hemisphere season. Yeah, it because wouldn't North even, and it, South America season. It would mean, be the Americas season. There you go, the Americas season. Because there's no way to do it in just North America, surely. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, now, okay, June in Austin is not the most pleasant idea in the entire world. But what if, because uh, Montreal is the first weekend in June, mm-hmm. what if you flipped it and put Austin at, towards the end of May? That could be reasonable there. I mean, I know Monaco is the end of May. Yeah. But if you kind of tweaked things a little bit, you could put Austin at the end of May. That's not quite June. It shouldn't be as bad. I mean, we're talking at this point 10 degrees one way or the other, but it couldn't be as bad. Well, if you turn around and you flop, say, what is it? Well, you instead of going to Spain, mm-hmm. you go to Austin, Montreal, Monaco, then Spain. There's an option. You should. While I write to Williams to have more things in Weights of Massa, um, could you write Bernie and discuss with him actual realistic schedule changes? I'll get on that. And if they even bother to open the letter, I'm sure the next response will be, who the hell are these idiots? <laughs> we are. We're, we're, we're the hosts of the best podcasts that we produce. Yes. So moving on. Yes. Um, we have talked quite a bit about this, and it has gotten, once again, a lot of press over the track limit situation and the somewhat fluid nature. <laughs> fluid nature. That's a really polite way to say they're exceeding track limits and nobody seems to be stopping them. Yeah, well, the FIA is exploring some potential solutions to this problem. You know, because just turning Walls. around and saying, stay on the damn track isn't good enough. Walls. I, I, I'm okay with walls. You know. Spike bars? Well, we. Ooh, we spike should, bars. We should mention a whole thing about walls. In, <laughs> in the buildup to the Mexican Grand Prix, um, BBC did some coverage and uh, hosted by Tom Clarkson, who spoke with uh, Lotus's new driver, Jolian Palma, about the track. And one of the things that Jolian had said was that this is a really enjoyable track because the walls in some places are so close. That really was what he said. And and Clarkson caught this and said, "Um, did you just say that, you know, it's a good thing that the walls are right there? And Jolian said, "Well, well, yes, actually, I did because... There's some joy in this whole thing because if you miss the walls, you feel a whole lot better. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a good thing the walls are there because then you can miss them. <laughs> so what they're looking at, there's a couple of things. They can't raise the height of the curbs. That, I mean, that would be the, the natural thought there. Well, it just make the curbs higher, but that upsets the cars, and there's a greater risk of them getting airborne and all kinds of other bad things. And we already learned that when we had higher curbs with these particular sets of tires, they don't handle going over them very well, and then we have exploding tires. Well, that that's more the driving all the way off and rubbing, cutting the tires up by doing mm-hmm. that. Um so what they're actually one of the things that they're looking at is 
a double width curb, which it's been used before over in MotoGP, and they've seen some good success with it. Um, Charlie Whiting explains the concept. He says, at the moment, we have a single curb that is 25 millimeters below track level. The second part is 50 millimeters below. The idea is this curb would work with both bikes and cars. They want something that's compatible for both disciplines. With cars, if it comes too far over, it will become increasingly uncomfortable for the driver. Okay. So like um, rumble strips. Kind of. Um, if you were to put two wheels beyond the curb, he would then have to cross back, so it should act as a deterrent, which is the plan anyway. So it's not just that, that it would be rumble strips, but the car would, would sit at an odd angle because, you know, one side would be lower than the other. Okay. So there would be a noticeable difference there, but there would still be some traction and some other stuff. Um, the other option, um, they feel they need a bit more accuracy, and that's to look at GPS and track loops. Uh, I guess Jonathan Palmer, who is Jolien's father, um, Jonathan Palmer employs pressure sensors at, at his circuits that detect when cars go beyond the curbs, triggering pictures from a high-resolution camera that then go straight to uh, race control. Um, Whiting says he's aware of that, situ of that system, and it's something that uh, they could use and want to take a look at. That would be very interesting, something that gave them positive, you were out of this bounds, and then start imposing penalties for it. Yeah. So, <laughs> our in-studio audience is, uh... Now we get to what you are groaning about. Engines! We don't have a lot to talk about with engines. Uh, do we have to talk about them at all? Yes. Really? Yes, because without engines, the cars don't go. Okay, it so I'm going to challenge you. Okay. Make this as short and as interesting as possible. Go. All right. Well, as a follow-up to last week. Yes. Formula One and the FIA and F1 have come out and put forward a tender for cheaper engines. The reason for doing this, it turns out, is because they went to the strategy group and said, hey, this is a proposal. We want you guys to, to come up with some ways to make these engines cheaper. And came out with a whole list of things to do to make that happen. And everybody voted for it. And Ferrari vetoed it. So this is a slap at Ferrari. Pretty much. Wow. This is the, if you're not going to play ball, we're going to strike out and go our own way. But I thought Bernie mm -hmm. loves Ferrari. I had other words for that. But let's go with loves Ferrari and sings from the Ferrari songbook. <laughs> I think he does ex to a point. And that point being the fact that he's pissed at Ferrari over the, the engine situation with, with Red Bull. I'm betting he's that right. he's not happy that they said no. Exactly. Um, as much as Red Bull has put themselves in this predicament, and again, let's go back to this is Red Bull deciding that they're going to try and buy a parachute after they've jumped out of the airplane. One more time and it's yours. <laughs> <laughs> Next week. Next week. It's happening. Um And see that you just completely broke my chain. <laughs> okay, so Red Bull, they had. Oh, B Bernie acknowledges that the sport really and truly needs Red Bull. Not just the fact that it's two teams, but 
there is a lot of money that Red Bull pours into the sport from a promotion thing. And as he mentioned last week, any time that they want to do a promotional event, he picks up the phone, he calls Red Bull, and they go, we'll send a car. When do you want it? And there's a lot of value in that. I'm, arguably, some of the things – they do more to promote the sport than – most of the teams including, including ferrari, ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> that was totally unplanned yeah <laughs> so I, I think that's why bernie's willing to stick his nose up at, at ferrari's game and say well fine we're going to go strike out and do it this way the question i have looking at the mess that that honda has made of this why would a team, why would a manufacturer consider building engines for Formula One right now? Prestige. Yeah. Exposure. Hey, not only is Ferrari against this whole idea, so is Sauber. Sauber. Marnesha Keltenborn has said that she does not like the idea of different engines essentially different classes of engines for the team it goes back to what we've been saying you have your your have a lots and your have a littles and as much and as Sauber has a little she doesn't want to be that team well in <coughs> essence you're not changing the difference between your teams of the haves and the have nots you're just expanding the gap in a lot of ways yeah so speaking of Ferrari yes of all people, Ferrari apparently looked upon the antics and the shenanigans and all of the fun party-like atmosphere of the rained-out Q1 session and said, we are not amused. We are Ferrari. You're fools. Well, maybe not the fools part, but... <laughs> you know, this particular thing really surprises me. And let, let me tell you why. Maurizio Arrive Bene almost almost someday i'm gonna get it right maurizio mm -hmm. has is the quintessential marketing guy he's the guy that at the beginning of this season took esteban gutierrez and a bunch of people that he couldn't get pit passes for out to the stands to sit and watch his team with all the bells and whistles you know here we'll go we'll go join mm -hmm. you and got so much press for that and he's sitting back judging the fact that the other teams got pressed for the fact that they were having fun in light of a bad situation. Well, is this more of sour grapes because he didn't think of it? Well, Arriva Benny's remarks We are a Formula One team, not the Cirque du Soleil. Oh, so that's a slap at uh, the Dannys doing the tango. Possibly. Well, you know. Kimi Raikkonen also can't. Kimi, of all people. Mm -hmm. I think, well, actually, I, sh I should say it like Kimi. I think this is Formula One. <laughs> That's wrong. That Sorry. was very wrong. <laughs> anyway, he said, I think this is Formula One and not the circus. The people are obviously not happy when we're not running, but we cannot make them happy with whatever we do apart from running. Sometimes it's no wonder when people start thinking about what F1 is when these kind of things happen. Okay. Now... They're wrong. Not only are they wrong, but at some point there was a picture. It didn't get nearly as much press as, oh, the Williams rowing team. <laughs> but there was a picture of one of the Ferrari mechanics standing in the uh, pit garage wearing goggles and a homemade snorkel. <laughs> I can only assume 
that sometime between the end of the qualifying session and the start of the actual qualifying, he was taken out into the paddock and executed. And well, that's, that's the only logical <laughs> answer. You, you were having fun. How dare you? Yeah. I mean, since when are the Italians not all about fun? Yeah. Maurizio, you're wrong. And I have I have held <coughs> that you are a great marketing mind up until the point that you decided to be stupid about this. That was the most humanizing thing. And I'm betting that some of those drivers and some of those teams actually gained fans for cutting it up and enjoying making the most out of a bad situation. Yeah. I mean, tell me you don't love Kvyat and Ricardo just a little bit more. I, I thought the whole thing that we saw there, whether it was Williams or Sauber, the only thing I thought was kind of dumb, and, and they kept showing the video, was Monisha Keltenborn sitting in the garage next to, I want to say it was Marcus Erickson, and she just all of a sudden reaches over and whacks his hat off. It's <laughs> like, well, okay, that's kind of dumb, and that's not really as good as your engineers who are getting pulled down through the, the pit lane in a skip. <laughs> <laughs> but even that, I think it showed that Monisha was, you know, she's got a sense of humor. Yeah. I think that that's what everybody was a little shocked by. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, we didn't see Claire cutting it up, though, your girl Claire. No, we didn't. I was wondering what was going on there. Yeah. I haven't seen Susie in a while either. Uh, yes, you did. Well, no, that was different. I meant, <laughs> oh, yes, I meant, you did. I, I meant at the track. <laughs> and and to know what Trish is talking about, just go look up on Susie Wolf's Facebook page and a shoot she did for. It was I don't remember what magazine it was. It's like a women in sport issue. In, it wasn't in, Maxim. No, it was not. And it was a tasteful image. We will put it that way. Yeah, she It is something that your average six-year-old could see and you wouldn't be like, oh, my God. No. So no. it, it was, it was tasteful totally image. tasteful. And but I think that. She looked pretty good, though. That was the, that <laughs> was the point. <laughs> we now fully understand why uh, Toto was smitten with her. So. To loop back to Red Bull, mm-hmm. you know, we heard, we talked last week about the surprise ability that McLaren appears to have had to veto any partnership that Honda could take on. Yes. We have a little more from um, uh, Eric Boulier over at McLaren on okay. the situation. What Eric had to say was, as a partner, and I'm going to repeat myself, we have to agree on the strategies. This is not a question of Ron saying no and Arisan saying yes. There is no debate on this. Clearly, there is an issue inside Red Bull, created by Red Bull and not by anybody else. And we are not a charity foundation, so we are not here to help. But we are not going into this kind of debate. Today, there are discussions, but the position of McLaren Honda has been made clear. We are not having this debate, but we are going to have this debate. <laughs> well, I tell you, we are clear. We are not a charity organization. Since I can see the headline in the New York Post. <laughs> Bouillet to Red Bull. Screw you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's more of the, if anybody's going to talk bad about our engines, it's going to be us. 
Yeah. That's the whole reason Honda's not going to want them to be a partner is because would you risk, seriously, if you had the option to supply an engine to Red Bull, knowing the way they have treated their past suppliers, engine or otherwise, would you take on the risk of that bad press? How iron tight would you want that contract to read that Horner's mouth had to stay shut? I mean, seriously, they're digging their own hole mostly because they opened their mouth and badmouthed their people. Tell your Red your Renault story now. Oh, okay. Um, I actually closed it out. But anyway, I, what I was going to go to is the fact that, you know what? Red Bull had a right to be pissed off. Yeah. They truly did. But having that fight in the press, as opposed to behind closed doors, that's where I think they were wrong. But I and think the that fact, that's what's affected the willingness of any other partner to exactly, want to work with them. Well, that's some of it. That's a large part of it. It's it's not the only part, but it's a large part of it. Um, the other thing, and and it's what, um, it, it's what Total Wolf and and. and even Bernie has said it's this concern that you take them on as a customer, and unlike any other customer team that is on the grid, they are incredibly well funded, mm-hmm. and they have the money to fund the development to beat their supplier, right? Or, or to beat the works team, and no works team wants to be in that position where a customer can outspend them and outdevelop them, right? And it it. It's a valid concern, but you know, it also goes back to something that Christian Horner said. Think bigger than your own team for a moment. Think about what's right for Formula One. And for the record, did you always do what was right for Formula One when you were dominating? Absolutely not. (laughs) You do what was right for your team. That's what I'm paid to do, which is why you can't put the teams in that position. That's why, you know, Bernie is the guy that's responsible for promoting it. Sean's responsible for writing the rules. Those guys need to get together and, and sort it out. You've got to be better. You, you've got to think for about more than just your team. Right. But, of course, he didn't think more about other teams when they were on a winning streak. Well, as he said, it's when he is in that position, he thinks about his – because that's what he's paid for. He's paid to look after the best interests of his team – and not the sport. Right. And this is a situation that, you know, the sport needs to come down and, and fix this. And I don't know how they do that. I don't either. But Renault does have the possibility of doing a good engine. They do. Um, Just Ren- summarize it. Renault built a brand new sports car for the GP3 series. They took it out uh, last week to the Circuit Paul Ricard to do some testing and um, discovered that the car didn't qualify to the GT- with the GP3 specs or the GT3 specs. So, of course, they need to apply tokens and make it faster, right? No, actually, it was the other way around. They needed to detune <laughs> the engine and add ballast to slow the car down. So they're giving that engine to Formula One, correct? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I'm guessing it's not a V6 turbo hybrid. Um, However, this is just further proof that Renault can develop a fast car. They really can. Yeah. 
So, moving on. We have to talk about last week. Okay. Well, there there's a lot of stories. Uh, you know, obviously the weather was one of them. There was some really great racing that happened. And so, obviously, the big story is Lewis Hamilton defending his world championship title, clinching number three, tying with his boss. <laughs> yes, he's tied with Nikki Lauda and the only the second uh, Brit to have three world champions. Right, and the first one to defend his championship. Yes. Because Sir Jackie did not do that. Nope, his are not consecutive. And for a stretch, it didn't look like he was going to clinch it in Austin. How many times last weekend did I say, it's going to Mexico, it's going to Mexico? And, you know, th- the whole, the controversy and everything started right there, lap one, turn one. Oh, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Honestly? Mm-hmm. Lewis pushed Nico wide? Well, we know he pushed Nico wide. We, I think he did it we, on purpose. There, Okay. <laughs> I think he took it. I took. I think firmly that he took advantage of the fact that the track was wet, and Nico was not going to hold position because it was easily excusable that he'd take a wider line. Well, I think there was more than that. I think that Lewis saw a situation that, that and, and and I think Lewis is going to take advantage of this anytime he sees it. Mm-hmm. I think he saw a situation that in many ways was reminiscent of Spa and how Nico pushed into him, damaged both cars, took him out of the race, and Nico caught heat for it. Yep. It wasn't written off as a racing incident. It was not written off. Nico did not get away with that. And I think Lewis has decided that any time that he gets that opportunity— Lewis is going to, or Nico is going to be hearing that, that, oh, that, 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 that discipline and everything else. He's going to, that, that's going to be ringing in his ear and Nico will always back down whenever Lewis pushes like that. Well, and I think Lewis is going to do it as a habit. I think beyond spa, I think that that has been the story of Nico and why Nico will never have a world championship. And this is, this is goes beyond just this Mercedes thing. They have, those boys have, carted for the last 20 years together Toto Wolf said it in the interview that we saw today they've carted together for 20 years the very reality is whenever they are head to head Nico will defer to Lewis almost every time he doesn't push back Nico's not as aggressive a driver as Lewis no he's not Nico's a very good driver very good driver and arguably you know, right up there with the very best on the grid. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't seem to be as aggressive when he needs to be. And I think that that is what Lewis has in his favor, is that he's got a little bit more raw aggression. I don't think it is as raw as what we saw at the height of the Schumacher days, but I believe that it is a very aggressive driving style that Nico doesn't adhere to and I, I think given those opportunities lewis can take the chink out of the armor easier than anybody else can now we'll, we'll cover the lewis and nico stuff before we move on to some of the other 
things that were notice- notable within that race. Okay. Because there was some other stuff. You know, at one point, Nico did manage to recover the lead. Yes, he did. And it again, it looked for all the world like this was Nico's race, and he and and he was gonna run away with it. And then, with about ten laps left over at turn sixteen, he went wide. And that was not. He was not pushed wide. No, he he did it like there was nobody around him. But it gave him enough of a window that Hamilton was able to jump through and take the lead. Mm-hmm. Well, Nico at the press conferences this week for the lead up to Mexico, he, he explained what happened. Okay. He said it was a gust of wind, a big oh. one. It would have to be a big one. So the response from the assembled media, they laughed at him. To which he quickly chipped in, seriously. (laughs) He added, everybody has it, and you can't really use it as an excuse. It's still a mistake, and I understand my mistake now. That's important. For me to understand it, that it was a very unusual scenario that happened just once, and all those laps helps me a lot moving forward as I lost a lot of rear downforce as a result. Up until then, the race had been going extremely well. I was really feeling comfortable, quick in those circumstances. Of course, the safety car came out and, and brought my 10-second lead down to zero. Well, he suffered. I mean, the safety car did not help him. But one of the things that I've held to is that, yes, I believe Lewis pushed him wide in mm-hmm. lap one, turn one. But that was not what cost him the race. He regained the lead. He was He was controlling that race for mm-hmm. a very big part of it. Um, had that been the thing that had lost the race for him, I think we would have be talk- having a different conversation. I think people would be more focused on that lap one turn run situation. Yeah. But the gust of wind and the safety car that, I mean, he had 10 seconds on, on Lewis at one point. Well, you know, he turned around and he said it was the gust of wind. And my understanding is back in the paddock, when he heard this, Ron Dennis jumped up and said, see, it can happen to somebody else, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, Fernando looked at him and said, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> but Nico didn't wind up with a concussion, but it wasn't concussed. Yeah. Anyway. So after the race. Yeah, that was the other bit of. I think the media made it a bigger deal than it was. Um, but that was the other bit of controversy was, was what happened in a driver's room. Mm-hmm. And, and the first thing I have to point out, because everybody seems to ignore it, but it was the first thing that happened, and I think it was very notable. Nico was already in – I believe Nico was was already in the room when Lewis walked in. And the first thing that happened was Nico went up to Lewis and said congratulations. And it was a very, very warm – I mean, it was sincere. It wasn't – Dude, congratulations. No, it was it was it, sincere. It, I think there was yeah. man hug involved. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, a mean-spirited anything. But I think Nico, I honestly believe, I think Nico was kicking himself. He knew he made a mistake. He knew that he cost him the race. He wasn't angry at Lewis. I think he was angry at himself. I think he's still angry with himself. But what everybody has latched on to mm-hmm. is that, after that congratulations, Lewis, or, or not Lewis, Nico went off to sit in the corner, and, I mean, if you look at him, he was sulking. Mm-hmm. 
or he looked like he was sulking. And Lewis, for whatever reason, tossed the second place cap ball cap to Nico, and Nico then threw it back at him. Right. To which everybody is went, ooh. Yeah, because apparently they're going to kill each ju- other. Junior high. Um, Rumble on the podium. Yeah. Okay. And then we get out to the podium. And the celebration starts out on the podium, and Nico turns around and instead of joining in the celebrations, hands his bottle of champagne off to Patty Lowe and steps off to the side. Yeah. Now, here's my take of what really happened. And then this, the fingers started snapping, and we had and the, the jets the and the sharks. sharks and, and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you what I think really honestly happened. Mm-hmm. Because I would like for everyone to be taken back in the Wayback Machine. Do, do, do. Thank you. To Mr. Lewis Hamilton. Mm -hmm. Back when he was in the fight for the world championships prior to these last two years and lost them. When he had repeated engine failures and whatnots from McLaren and lost it. Mm -hmm. That man could hold a grudge (laughs) like a nobody's business. And sometimes (laughs) it was against himself and sometimes it was against his team. But until these last couple of years... Truly, Lewis was not good post-race if he lost. He no. was a sulking, nightmarish mess. So, I'm, I'm only calling this up because this is not an unusual position for a race driver to be in. But here's what I see happen. Gust of wind, feigned to the left, whatever happened out there. Nico knows he lost his race on his own merit. He, he screwed up. He mm-hmm. did something wrong. And it cost it. He's kicking himself mentally. He yes. comes into the driver's room. He's down. He's like, it, it, it should have been mine. And it should have been. But they're racing drivers and things happen. And he sits, you know, he congratulates Lewis because that's the sporting thing to do. And that he's a gentleman in his own right. And he goes and he sits down and he's mulling and he's mulling. And I don't think he saw that Lewis tossed him the cap. And Lewis tossed him the cap because, hey, man, you're going to need this. Yeah. Let's get out to the podium and make this happen. Make, yeah, let's get this over with. And I think that the cap came at him out of nowhere, and an instinctive reaction was to throw it back. It was, you know, he was in a zone, the cap came in, and he just chucked it back because he wasn't in the mood to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And I think he got out on the podium and wasn't in the mood to deal with it, and he couldn't, he couldn't pull himself out of his own head to participate in all of the hoo-ha of the whole thing just because he was brooding well there was something else that i think was at play here okay you know last year nico lost the championship due to a mechanical situation right completely and totally out of his and and that is frustrating in its own right Mm -hmm. this year what completely put him out of it here in austin was his fault right it was an a an unforced error on his part. He had nobody to blame but himself, and that upset him. And I think that that's exactly it. I think he was in his own head because he knows he did it. So the the last thing I will mention on Nico and his brooding, mm-hmm. um, and this is something that Will Buxton talked about if, if you listen to the, the Five Live podcast. Um, that night, Mercedes held a party at the one there's a piano bar in downtown mercedes held a party both for them winning the championship and for lewis winning the driver's championship right 
both drivers were there. Now, they were not mingling with each other, but both drivers for, were there. And Nico even got up and sang karaoke. Really? Yes. <laughs> well, Theoretically, from what I hear, Buxton may have goaded him into it, but Nico was up there singing karaoke and apparently was very much in the spirit of the party. My understanding is that he also at one point went to Toto and or Nicky Lauda and said, congratulations on winning the driver's championship too. Y'all deserved it. Yes. And I think that was a, I mean, the man's a gentleman. He is. And and he is a very good sportsman. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, I think after this year, he will not win a title, mm. at least definitely not with, I don't see it happening with Mercedes. Well, um, unless he all of a sudden learns to become much more aggressive and safely aggressive, because that's the other thing. You can be aggressive and then you end up like Maldonado. But, but you know, you got to kind of think it's probably a little tough to be in Lewis's shadow. Well, yeah. And, you know, we have uh, some comments from Lewis about that uh, post race. Looking forward to a race for Nico, but obviously uh, he, he made it a lot easier for me than, um, but he, I mean, he's been driving fantastically well and it's not easy having me a teammate. I'm actually, in a, in a friendly way, I'm the worst teammate you can have, which is a good thing for me. <laughs> that's, how, that's how I make it. <laughs> you you got to give Lewis props for a little self-effacing humor, but he it can't be easy to be Lewis's teammate, to, to support and hate at the same time. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's your biggest rival, and he's so good. Yeah. And there's a... <laughs> There's that part that you wanna you wanna pull Nico aside and go, dude, just to be on the same team with him is excellent. It's like being nominated for the Oscar. It really is an honor just to be nominated, but you're never you're you're never gonna win this Oscar. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. And at this point, he can't go to another team because the teams can't touch Mercedes right now. Though they're getting closer. They are. We. There's been a lot of talk that we could be seeing a battle next year between Hamilton and Vettel, Ooh. and that could be very interesting. Hey, um, so, something just just came in. I, I need to share this. You are on fire, mate. Keep pushing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pushing. I'm pushing. <laughs> I promise. No, actually, that was um, Carlos Sainz's engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, Carlos once again had an amazing race you know he had uh, a wreck in qualifying which meant he ended up starting from the back of the grid started in 20th and put himself in sixth place now he did get a time penalty which pushed him back in a seventh Mm -hmm. but considering the fact that this was from the back of the grid grid to end up there i mean again the guy's driving like he's on fire you know something when we put this season in the record books mm-hmm. and everybody, you know, sums it up and we, we talk it all to death and you're going to talk about the fact that it's Lewis's back-to-back championship and that's going to get some amount of play. Mm-hmm. But I think the equal amount of ink written about this season is going to be those two boys at Toro Rosso. They're, they're, they're juniors. They're rookies on the, on the, the grid. They have no business commandeering the level of achievement that they have. They're not supposed to be this good. The, the, these are supposed to be development drivers, essentially. Right. I mean, they're this is not, a junior team. They're not supposed to be. Max Verstappen was fourth this 
this past race in Austin. And at so, one point, he, he was looking like he could possibly have a podium out of it. I know. And Char- uh, Carlos Sainz to come from the back of the grid to sixth. And it wasn't like he did that because it was easy. Yes, he went 20th to 11th in the first lap. Yeah. Well, but, that was in the pandemonium that occurred at that first turn. But that's just, I mean, that is seriously some on top of it racing. And the truth of the matter, you cannot ignore the fact that we've got two rookies that are driving at the level of some of our world champions. Yeah. Not to mention, both of them are driving better than, let's see, double world champion Fernando Alonso, single world champion Jensen Button. I think they're driving better than Raikkonen, too. I, I, I hesitate. I mean, maybe Raikkonen. I, I I could I could take the the in an argument because of how well that they're doing. I, I hesitate to to throw that out at the the McLaren Honda guys because I mean let's face it they're driving a monkey Hugo's? with a lawnmower could be driving faster <laughs> than that car right now. Manor's not driving faster than them. Okay, well okay, a monkey and a lawnmower can drive faster than them and Manor Marusha, <laughs> but Manor Marusha is on last year's engines. They have an excuse. Well, there's there's a point. McLaren there. Honda doesn't have an excuse. They don't have an excuse. But, you know, I'm just pointing out that there are world champion drivers that are not doing as well as those two rookies. Mm-hmm. And young rookies at that. I mean, this time last year we were talking about whether or not Verstappen had a right to drive. Yeah. So, while we're done with the Lewis-Nico discussion, we're not quite done with Nico yet. Oh, really? Yes. Well, you know, this was a race that we saw not one but two safety cars and not one but two virtual safety cars. And it was a bit of controversy coming out of the second safety car. Or, excuse me, the first safety car. What happened? Well, Lewis was in the lead, followed by the Red Bulls. Mm -hmm. Actually, it was specifically, it was followed by um, Daniel Ricciardo. And then Nico behind him. Or actually, Nico may have been in fourth, and it was Caviat, then Ricardo. Um, as they, we, they started to get word that the safety car period, that the virtual safety car period was ending, it appears that Lewis tried to back up the field a little bit, mm-hmm. which allowed Nico to close the gap between himself and Ricardo. And ultimately, as soon as that safety car went off, Nico passed him, right? Which prompted this call from from uh, Daniel to the team. Well, double check. Well, double check. And coming out of the race, Nico, or Daniel rather has called for some clarification on the safety car rules, and I think he's completely right because the safety, the virtual safety car, does not appear to be working the way. At least the fans were told this was going to be working. The way I understood this was this was supposed to be working. True. I, I was under the under the understanding that when the virtual safety car came on, I don't I don't think it's appropriate to say it came out because it doesn't actually come out. Essentially, these cars were going to be through software, or whatever their speed was going to be restricted, right. so that they could not exceed a specific speed. Which, if that's the case, then the gap between all the cars would be maintained regardless of the length of that virtual safety car. And that was the whole idea was that the when an actual safety car comes out, the gaps all 
diminished to nothing. There, and this allowed the opportunity to maintain the gap between all the cars. They all drove to a set speed. But if there's a maximum speed during the virtual safety car, did we just exploit part of the rule by going below it? I don't know. And, you know, watching the replay, just before the virtual safety car went out, Nico was alongside and almost past Daniel. He drops back, and just as he drops back behind Nico, what appears to be the indicator on his car, on his wheel, that green that they're under green flag conditions, and he instantly shoots forward and, and passes Daniel. Hmm. It, it just, the, the whole thing seems odd. That does. So, you know, what Daniel has to say is that VSC, you should keep the gap. And Rosberg wasn't right up our arse. He has a few seconds behind, said Ricardo. So then when I saw him already close on us under virtual safety car, I was thinking, surely he'll back off again. Then he passed me, and then it was green flag, apparently. I don't know what happened there. I was following suit, basically. I think we're going to talk about the, safe, the virtual safety car in general because it wasn't clear when it was green. Um, he believes that the use of the virtual safety car last weekend was particularly messy. He said, you drive around, you follow this time, and then you actually have to look for the boards. It was a bit confusing, and I don't know why. On Sunday, it was more confusing than it has been in previous races. Normally, we get a message, I thought, saying virtual safety car ending and a 10-second warning, but there was no warning at all. Interesting. Now, he has gone on further, and he is actually calling for a minimum uh, virtual safety car speed. The reason for that is, again, because Lewis backed up the field. And how that plays into the whole thing with the gaps and, and when the lead car is backing up the field coming out of the virtual safety, it's all super messy. Yeah. So... Yeah, I don't think we're there yet with this virtual safety car thing. And, and honestly, I don't even really see the point. I don't. I think it would make better sense to just bring out the actual safety car and have the actual safety car handle the speed. But then That's you the lose point your gaps. It. That's the whole, but you lose your gaps that way. But obviously the gaps aren't being maintained now. But they have a better chance of maintaining the gaps. I don't know. Hey, moving beyond them, and then still with clarifications, Kimmy was upset. We angered the Kimmy? Kimmy was very upset. You could hear it in what he had to say. He talked just like this, that he was really upset about how the driving standards were between him and... and... No. 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 (laughs) Well... You know, we, we heard the radio from him that, that uh, he was complaining about Verstappen pushing him off at every turn. And his argument was, and, and there was no penalties for it. And his argument was, if that's the standard, if that's what we need to be, what, what we're doing, then you need to tell me. Mm-hmm. Because that's what I want to do. <laughs> I want to push people off the track, too. But I wasn't doing it because I was under the impression that I get penalized for it. So what's the deal here, people? I paraphrased a bit, just to be clear. Well, you I, did, because you added like 92 more words to it than Kimmy yes, actually said. it was a bit more animated than Kimmy normally is, too. Well, yeah. All right. So, moving forward to this week in Mexico. Yes. Before we get to the stats. 
Oh, I was hoping for stats. We're, we're getting there. Um, I guess this really shouldn't be as much of a surprise either since, since he's been running in free practice one for most of the season anyway. But Lotus has announced that uh, Jolian Palma will be running free practice one for the remainder of the season. Right. To which Roman Grosjean has said, all right, I've had enough of you people. Well, he's going to Haas. <laughs> he this is that. why I'm leaving. He already said I've had enough of you people. Yeah. Um, this could be an interesting race reliability-wise. I mean, we've already seen um, the track is incredibly slippy. You know, we, we've heard this before. We heard this in 2012 that we was concerned about how slick the track was in Austin when that was a brand-new track, and not a whole lot came out of it. We heard it last year in Sochi that, you know, brand-new pavement in it could be really slippy, and... Not a whole lot came out of it. This year, we've heard a lot, but at least in qualifying, it's it seems to be a really big deal. It's actually slipping. Now, there could be a lot of reasons for this. Besides just the new pavement and, and all of that stuff, there is, I want to say, they're talking because of the altitude, they're down about 20% when it comes to their down, downforce. Mm. Now, on the plus side, they're also down 20% on the drag, too, but... Yeah, you kind of need those two in, in some form to make the car stick. and yeah. But it has other issues as well. Um, cooling is a big concern here. You know, normally we're dealing with just it's hot and how do you cool an engine with hot air. Now it's how do you cool an engine with less air. And not just an engine, but brakes too. Kimmy had a brake fire. Right. That was pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it... it resulted in him getting an engine change oh not only that but they gave the, the great new engine that went to mclaren that was kind of disappointing because fernando fernando ended up in 11th due to an engine problem and it was a bad injector button still beat him so didn't exactly blow the doors off of a well that was that was the engine that they gave jensen for this weekend um it didn't work and he did not run in qualifying because it didn't work. And as a result, he has a, wait for it, 70-place grade penalty. 70? Yes. So he has to drive to Austin to start? No, 70 places is probably going to put him back at Monza. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I Again... I, I understand the point of these penalties, but really, when he's starting from the back of the grid anyway because he didn't qualify, who friggin' cares? Well, I mean, truly, that's why they, they wound up being able to do these things because they already knew he wasn't going to qualify, so pile the penalties on him. I mean, take the penalties this race when he's already going to be in the back versus taking them next race when he might not be in the back. Yeah. Okay, so let's get to some stats. Stat me. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm not going to use NBC stat, stats. Nope, just, I'm, I'm not doing it. We're Are not. they really that boring? No, NBC just had the one that I said that if I, if, if I use it again, you can throw something at me, and I'm not doing it. <laughs> I have, I have other, in my hand to throw it I have other talking points. <laughs> what was that stat again? Okay, so the, the first ever Mexican Grand Prix was in 1963. Okay. 
um, the circuit distance, the current circuit distance, because it is modified, um, is 4.304 kilometers. And in the current layout, there is no lap record. Ooh. Ooh, so there will be today. Yes. 71 laps at the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez. Which has been, how long since it's been? A couple of years. (laughs) So some of the other notable events that have occurred at Autodromo Los Poyos Hermanos. (laughs) 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 It has hosted shows by Paul McCartney, Madonna, Pink Floyd, The Rolling Stones, Metallica, and a mass by Pope John Paul II. At the same time? (laughs) Maybe. No. Um, Jim Clark's Lotus broke down on the penultimate lap of the 1964 season-ending race, allowing John Surtees to claim the world title. Uh, Much of Mexico City used to be a large lake before the Aztecs constructed a massive civilization. Massive. Massive. Not Masa, but massive. Massive. Um, Mexico was the first country to host the Football World Cup twice in 1970 and again in 1986. Okay. Um, the circuit has staged Formula One between 63 and 70 and 86 and 92. Do your own math. (laughs) Or just watch NBC Sports. They'll tell you it again. (laughs) Hey, something that that most people don't know is that there is a 2.75-kilometer short circuit within the complex. However, it has never been used since the construction of the circuit over 50 years ago. Why? Because they decided that they wanted to go longer than 2.750 kilometers. Okay. Mm. But they, it's there. Okay. Basically, when you get to turn four, you turn right instead of left, and you end up at turn seven. Oh. That matters a lot to most people I know. Well, they took the wrong turn at Albuquerque is the problem. Yes. So, most wins by driver. With two each, Jim Clark, Alan Prost, and Nigel Mansell, who won the very last race. How long ago? Many years ago. How long ago? <laughs> How long ago, Michael? And if you have not heard, the what used to be the Peritalta curve. Mm -hmm. which would go around what is now the ball field in the stadium. That has been modified. And I got to say, most stadium sections in race tracks, I don't know, they look kind of bleh, except for maybe, I think, Hockenheim. I think they've got a pretty cool-looking stadium. The stadium section at at Mexico I thought was kind of cheesy at first until I've actually seen the pictures. It looks really cool. How cool? It it really does. They they put the paddock club at one end and these massive, because it's the ballpark bleachers, these massive bleachers on the other side of it, and it really does look stunning. So they routed the Peritalta curve, which used to go behind that, through the stadium. And the concern was there wasn't enough runoff on that curve, and it was a very fast curve, and you know, we don't like walls anymore, apparently, in F1. <laughs> but the last third of the of that turn is outside the stadium. They have named that turn after Nigel Mansell. Right. It's the Nigel Mansell turn. Yes. Uh, most wins by team. Lotus. The original Lotus, as founded by Colin Chapman, not the current poser Lotus. Um, <laughs> three wins. McLaren with three wins. Williams with three wins. And Ferrari with just two. <laughs> hey, the the one bit of stats that I, I did take from 
the uh, from Williams, and it happens to be a chocolate stat, not about masa. Oh, How, it is though that chocolate was invented by the Aztecs. It was. Who the name that they had, and I don't have the name in front of me, apparently translates to bitter water. Mm-hmm. So there's your Williams stat. I happen that's to, chocolate related. I happen to have known that. I took a class. So the last bit of news that we have. not It, it was announced around the Mexican Grand Prix, but it is not Mexican Grand Prix related. And it involves our friends over at Manor. And uh, I'm not completely sure what this means. Okay. So first off, we heard on Thursday, no, I'm sorry, on Friday, that bosses over at Manor John Booth, who's the team principal, or effectively the team principal, and sporting director Graham Loudon are quitting the team at the end of the season. Really? Now, supposedly they were not fired, but it's due to um, differences in the strategy, in the future strategy of the team with the owner. Interesting. Yeah. Now, Toto Wolf, because, of course, Toto has comments about everything, but there is the partnership coming up. He says that he knew a while ago there was something cooking. John Booth is manner, and I have known him for many years, since Lewis Hamilton was in Formula 3, and Graham has done an awesome job in picking the team up. It's not a good situation, and it is unfortunate because these guys are real racers. I'm an interested spectator at the moment. I can't have an opinion yet. There are many good people in the team, if these two guys really leave it, it is unfortunate, but it is for me it is not for me to judge. I will just watch and see. But that's not all. But that's not all. Because we also got word on Saturday that their technical director, Bob Bell, who joined the team five months ago and apparently was instrumental in uh, signing in, in the shift to get the Mercedes engines, he's leaving as well. And unlike... Booth and Graham Loudon, he's already left. Oh, wow. Yeah. So not sure what's doing. He he apparently left a week ago. Packed up his tires and went home? Yeah. So I, I, I don't know what's going on here. I, I think it's going to take a little bit to find out what's happening. I mean, it's not like the Mercedes world didn't pick up a whole ton of execs and they may be trying to push to spread them around a little bit you know it, it may be some of that it, it may be some other talent that has become available um there's also there's talk that this is a much bigger shakeup than just these three that there are some other folks that are also behind the scenes who are leaving as well hmm. it just it, it seems really odd um I don't know. I mean, the team's going to get money this year. No matter what, the team is getting money because they're finishing 10th. Right. Next year, well, who knows? Right, because they'll be an 11th team next year. But they. the thing is what we don't know is where are these people going. It's not just that they're leaving here. Are they staying in the sport? Maybe they're getting picked up someplace else. I mean, there's there's too many options, and we don't have enough information. There, there's that possibility, or it could be that um, they're being left in a you know at a roadside uh, 
pull-off in the middle of the Everglades like Ron Dennis did with Martin Whitmarsh, who'd never to be heard from again. <laughs> Poor Martin. All we know is somebody else took over, and what the hell happened to him? <laughs> you never know. We'll find out. I'm sure we will find out when we have new team principals for Manor Mercedes. So. Yes. We have made it through everything. Because <gasps> we're not going to talk really too much about qualifying. We haven't watched the race yet, which as we finish recording has probably, ju- actually, it won't start for another hour, I think. Woohoo. So we will be able to enjoy the race here shortly. Yes. But uh, other than that, tune in next week for more developments as F1 turns. Oh, my word. Well, you know, there's been, as much as we haven't had much of a silly season from the drivers, there's been all kinds of other stuff. I mean, whether it's the Aston Martin team deal with with, with uh, Force India or the engine deals or all the other stuff, I mean— We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. And it's better than having to talk about this team went bankrupt this week. I would rather talk about these things than which team went bankrupt or is in receivership. But if we could go a week without having to talk about engines, I'd be so happy. Next season. Maybe. Either that or the off season. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) All right. On that note, I think we should call it a show. All right. All right.